Wesley Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm your other co-host, Edwith Theogene. Um, we wanted to extend another special welcome to the listeners of the NRM Streamcast, which, as we mentioned last week, is one of the Leslie Marshall Show's new streaming partners. Thanks for joining us, NRM Streamcast listeners. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about um, a proposed rule change from the Trump administration's Department of Housing and Early Development, also known as HUD, um, and why many people, and ur- urban development, also known as HUD, and why many people are fighting back against it. Um, to take a closer look at this proposed rule change and its potential consequences, we're joined today by two experts from the National Low Income Housing Coalition, uh, policy analyst Sonia Costa and senior advisor Ed Gramlich. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah, glad to have you here in the studio. Um, to start, Sonia and Ed, would you mind uh, sharing a little bit about the mission of your organization, the National Low Income Housing Coalition, um, and each of your roles there to give folks a little bit of grounding as to how you came to this work? Sure. Um, so the National Low Income Housing Coalition is dedicated solely to achieving socially just public policy that ensures people with the lowest incomes in the U.S. have affordable and decent homes. Uh, It was founded back in 1974, and we educate, we organize, we advocate to ensure decent, affordable housing for everyone. Um, So we do this through independent research, um, we educate our lawmakers to shape public policy, we mobilize our members and supporters um, to advocate for just housing policy, and then, you know, we do a lot of work to shape public opinion. Um, So I'm on the policy team, and I do a lot of our work with policymakers. We focus really on uh, federal policy, so I do a lot of work with um, Congress and a lot of our national partners kind of shape that discussion. And I am also on the policy team. I'm sort of a a regs nerd, a regulations guy, and uh, so my primary role is to monitor uh, HUD's uh, proposed regulations and other kind of policy notices, uh, try to interpret them for regular people so that I can write about that in our weekly memo to members and so that they're, they're fully informed. And when there's an opportunity to uh, make comments like this particular case, uh, you know, that I help uh, shape the, the sample comment letters and help people understand uh, what's being proposed. The other big thing that I do is uh, the National Income Housing Coalition was instrumental in creating the National Housing Trust Fund, which is uh, uh, really the first uh, uh, program that uh, is dedicated to uh, creating new housing that's affordable to extremely low-income people. It's the first thing like that in in more than a generation. So what I'm doing is um, monitoring how the states are implementing this brand new program. 
Wow, both of you have really cool and exciting jobs and very important <laughs> as well, um, especially now with this political climate, like having someone who has REG's expertise and the uptick that we've seen it with <laughs> administrative advocacy too. They've been keeping me busy. Yeah, <laughs> very busy. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you all are currently working on? Sure, so um, working on a bunch of different things at all times. Because um, so <laughs> everything's on fire at the same time. Exactly, under yeah. Um, so just some basic things that we're working on. I work on just the annual spending um, process and the appropriations process. So working on making sure that we have enough funding for all of these super important housing and community development programs. Um, our organization is kind of trying to figure out um, responses to the coronavirus and thinking about people experiencing homelessness um, and just low-income people in general who are more vulnerable um, potentially and um, then the thing that we're here to talk about is this proposed um, rule called affirmatively furthering fair housing um, which is an idea that was first introduced in the Fair Housing Act of 1968 um, and it's just kind of uh, thinking I think about it as uh, a way to really address um, ongoing and historic discrimination and create more equitable communities and I know we'll talk a lot more about it but um, those are just some some of the things that I'm working on right now and I'm going to I'm going to also add to what she and her colleagues do who I don't go on Capitol Hill I hate that uh, <laughs> and I avoid it and that's why I'm a regs nerd uh, but also there are, you know a number of progressive and liberal legislators they know where we're at and what we value and what's important to us and they will often send us draft language of bills that they're proposing and Sonia and Kim and Sarah will uh, give some comments you know up and down uh, how to tweak it so that it really helps extremely low-income people and others. Just make it as effective as possible based off of y'all's expertise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how have you seen um, housing policy change generally under the Trump administration um, and specifically Ben Carson, who's currently heading the agency? Yeah. Um, to be fair, I've only been with the coalition under the Trump administration. Oh, my. Um, which is, you know, Sad, but you know, I was definitely uh, I was still involved in housing um, under the Obama administration as well. Um, so the goals definitely seem to be very different. Um, you know, this administration really has a focus on regulatory changes um, and thinking about you know they focus on kind of local zoning issues and trying to to work on that. Um, not always in a way that's actually helpful for extremely low-income people, hardly in a way that's helpful. Um, and they, the administration just really has kind of less emphasis on ensuring that people have access to safe, decent, and accessible housing. Um, in fact, many of the pro proposals that they've introduced have kind of restricted access to um, affordable housing. Um, and, you know, thinking about this rule, there's really been a move kind of away from some of from HUD's mission to create equitable communities. They tried to take out some language in their mission around fair housing goals. Um, they've kind of attacked some of these civil rights protections in a number of ways. So uh, def definitely a shift. Yeah, I, I have a list of 13 harmful things that, that Carson and company have done 
uh, if you want to get general, from the general to the specific. I think that would be great. Yeah, yeah I mean, we have plenty of specific. It sounds like considering like the goals of the agency um, and considering they're trying to literally change the mission statement of the goals of the agency, um, if there are a couple of particularly egregious things that you think this administration is trying to slide under the rug in like a wonky regulatory or deregulatory mm-hmm. process, um, as the current case may be, um, I think that's something people would be interested in hearing about. Yeah. yeah, one of the big ones that we dealt with last summer was a proposed rule that um, would prevent families of mixed immigration status from living in subsidized housing. So currently, if at least one member of the family is um, eligible for um, housing assistance, um, then the whole family can you know, receive assistance just prorated to only cover that eligible person. Um, and the Trump administration proposed a rule that would prevent families. If anyone is ineligible, that family can't live there. And so that would either, um, you know, families would then either face eviction or be forced to separate. And it would impact 25,000 families across the country, including 55,000 children um, who were American citizens. Um, so that's one particularly egregious one. That was a proposed rule last summer. Um, we. Uh, got over 34,000 comments, um, which is amazing. The the previous record before that rule for a HUD um, uh, proposed rule was about 1,000. So we <laughs> were really able to, to generate um, a lot of opposition, which was, was great. Um, they've also uh, remove some guidance that would protect LGBTQ folks experiencing homelessness, particularly transgender folks, and as I'm sure a lot of folks know, um, you know, transgender individuals are much more likely to experience homelessness than the, the rest of the population, so, and are at um, increased risk of, of violence, too, when they're, um, if they're unhoused, so um, having some protections for those people is really important, and the Trump administration has kind of tried to remove some of those things. Do you have any more to add to the list, Ed? Well, I said I had 13. <laughs> yeah, that was two. That was two. I've got more. Let, let's jump back to the immigrants and keep on, on, on that. Uh, the Trump administration uh, eliminated DACA, of course. Uh, that's not specific to, to HUD, um, but I think it's important for people to know this, this, um, this pot. Well, also to like DACA still exists now, so we are still well, encouraging people yeah, to right, apply yeah, I'm sorry. for DACA. Yeah. We're waiting for the SCOTUS decision. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Thank for you that. for clarifying. But <laughs> they are attacking DACA. The, yeah. um, so. And then there's the public charge rule, which mm-hmm. Sonia knows all about. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that uh, you know this this public charge test has existed for a long time for people either applying for green cards or applying to enter the country. Um, and it, it's just a way to say, like, okay, is this person going to be um, um, lenient or dependent on uh, government assistance? And they've really expanded uh, the definition of that to include people who might receive housing benefits. Um, and it's it gets a little wonky, but yeah. it definitely um, 
definitely is. alarming and yeah. uh, sort of not in the spirit of um, safe and healthy and happy um, communities. I mean, definitely which not. seems right. like a, a core a core value um, that HUD's supposed to be um, espousing. Uh, well, you've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, we're talking about some rollbacks um, that the Trump administration's Department of Housing and Urban Development is proposing. And we will be right back with um, a specific one and how you can get engaged in just a few minutes. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Over of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edwith Theogene. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Welcome back. We are talking today about HUD, and we're talking today about some really important things. We're joined by our guest, Sonia Costa, policy analyst at the National Low Income Housing Coalition, and Ed Gramlick, senior advisor at the National Low Income Housing Coalition as well. Welcome back. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we're going to talk about what's at stake and what's happening in this fight, um, which is the fight for housing justice campaign. I was going to start off with HUD's mission, but why don't we just jump right in? <laughs> <laughs> so can either of you tell us more about the fight for housing justice campaign? What is the housing rule that HUD has proposed and why is it so harmful? Sure. Um, so fight for housing justice campaign, we are leading it with the National Housing Law Project and about 13 other organizations. Most of them are are national organizations. Um, And we are working together to oppose this new proposed rule from HUD. Um, So I mentioned earlier that it's the affirmatively furthering fair housing um, rule and we shorten it to AFFH because otherwise it's uh, very long to say. but this kind of idea was established under the Fair Housing Act of 1968, which kind of had two, um, I think of it as like two different things that it accomplished. The first is the pretty straightforward preventing discrimination in housing and housing related activities. Um, And then the other one is this idea of AFFH and saying, okay, it's not just enough for us to say that you can't discriminate anymore. Communities need to look and see the discrimination that they've already perpetuated, look at the segregation, and actively work to dismantle it. Um, So that was in the law of 1968, um, but there wasn't a lot of meaningful guidance or real tools that allowed communities to actually do that work. Um, until 2015 when the Obama administration finalized their affirmatively furthering fair housing rule, which was really kind of a a data-driven thing. It required communities to really look um, and uh, bring in a broad array of stakeholders to think about what are the fair housing challenges that we face? What are the barriers to housing that people with disabilities or people of color face? and, and think about ways to address that. And um, so it's it was a fairly new thing. Um, how many how many jurisdictions actually went through that process? 49, 49. out of 1,200. Yeah. Be- be- before Carson suspended. <laughs> right, the rule. right. So then the Trump administration came in and suspended that rule, saying that it was overly burdensome. 
um, even though, again, that's a very small sample size and it's a brand new process that, you know, communities had, had never done before. It was And it was built to be very iterative where a community would do something, send it to HUD, and HUD was like, okay, like, continue looking, dig deeper. Um, and so then, this was meant to, I mean, so this is something that was imposed under the Obama administration, had just started going into effect mm-hmm. as soon as the Trump administration um, kind of took over and it was data-based and also it sounds like super inclusive, like perhaps included people that had not previously been um, included and it's just to to make sure that nobody slipped through the cracks under the Obama administration's rule here. That was the goal, definitely. Um, You know, it had a a specific requirement around public participation to really kind of bring people in at different points in the process. Um, I just want to add that out of that 49... 32 were ultimately accepted. So, again, the suspension was based on on a real false uh, arithmetic. Yeah. And the goal of this whole project was to really uh, work to dismantle discrimination that had been Mm -hmm. happening within housing to begin with, right? Right. And because it seemed complicated... Mm-hmm. Quote unquote, and air quotes. Yeah, and required a lot of resources. It required mm-hmm. a lot of resources. They decided to get rid of it. But mm-hmm. ha- did they ever propose any solutions to still address discrimination? So this this is their proposed rule replacing the 2015 AFFH rule uh, under the Trump administration. Now we have this new one, but it it is not at all addressing the real issue. It falsely equates increasing affordable housing with fair housing choice, Mm -hmm. which is not not at all the same thing. And the ways that they encourage people or communities to increase affordable housing, you know, wouldn't even necessarily um, help the lowest income people. And, you know, from our organization, that's where we're most concerned. It would really just kind of address some market rate um, housing things. Can you kind of walk us through just a little bit the difference between affordable housing and fair housing? Definitely. So fair housing is about choice and opportunity. So just because um, a house is affordable and you can, you know, um, for like a low income person, it would be about 30 percent of their monthly income. That's how we define affordable. Um, Just because it's affordable doesn't mean that someone with a disability could actually live there. It may not be accessible. Um, There still may be steering by landlords or realtors away from certain neighborhoods that creates the segregation that we see in cities and communities across the country. Um, And there are, you know, a a bunch of other kind of ways that it um, impacts communities. Yeah. Okay. And we'll 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 be right back after this (laughs) break. Uh, You're listening to the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show, and we'll pick it back up on that thread right after this. So I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm your other co-host, Edwith Theogene. Uh, today, uh, we have two uh, in-studio guests taking a close look at a proposed rule change um, at the Department of Housing and Urban Development under the leadership of Ben Carson. So I kind of like to um, emphasize that as we talk about a lot of these federal agencies and stuff, uh, these <laughs> these agencies are not bad in and of themselves. Like right, right. we need like a mm-hmm. Department of Education, right? Like we need um, uh, we need HUD. Um, but under current leadership, um, with these we've got these like foxes guarding the hen houses, um, <laughs> and it just it doesn't make any sense. So um, I want to welcome back uh, our guests 
guests here, both from the National Low Income Housing Coalition. We have Sonia Acosta. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Um, and we also have Ed Gramlich. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting us. Um, so, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about um, the comment period that is currently underway, this comment period at HUD? Um, how long do people have to submit comments? Uh, sure. So, the comment period for this proposed rule ends next Monday, March 16th. Um, so, we really encourage everyone to submit a comment about um, how this might impact their communities. I mean, think about one way to really make sure that your comment is strong is to think about your personal connection to it and think about the neighborhood that you grew up in and how it impacted your life um, and how a more inclusive community with more diversity could have been better or you know think about the city you live in think about areas that have been disinvested in and how those communities need more resources or areas of kind of uh, concentrated wealth you know how we could kind of uh, deconstruct that and, and make more integrated communities. Um, so I want to go back for uh, for a point there real fast, um, just to make sure um, as folks are considering um, the comments that they would implement, if this rule were to be gutted, who would be most affected by the change? I would think, <coughs> well, definitely the uh, people uh, that are in the Fair Housing Act's so-called protected classes, and there are seven of them, uh, race, color, national origin, sex, family status, and that kind of translates as the uh, families with children, uh, people with disabilities, and religion. And so uh, your listeners should imagine uh, themselves or the people that they know that fit into any of those categories. These would be the categories that that would be affected, people of color, uh, uh, immigrants, uh, women with children, People with disabilities are, are severely uh, affected. Uh, some um, uh, uh, multifamily properties will not rent to people of a wrong religion. So it's there. There's many many um, ways in which this can play out. Uh, one thing I want to kind of stress is um, one of the the weaknesses I think, and hopefully someday we can fix this, is that discrimination based on sex does not necessarily translate into LGBTQ people. There was a movement during the Obama administration that had policy guidance that did embrace that. Uh, But obviously with the the Trump-Carson administration, they backed off of that. So, so when we're thinking about uh, the the folks who would be impacted here, um, I think that's important to sort of list the t- the types of categories and the protected categories that we're thinking about, um, and what are the negative impacts that folks in some of these protected categories might see? Um, what are some examples of negative impacts that they should be um, that folks would then be facing? Yeah, I think it's it's more thinking about it as the negative impacts that they already face. Got it. Because the 2015 rule was really trying to address the inequities that we currently have. And this rule would just ignore that. And so that would mean that we would see a, you know, further entrenched segregation, additional discrimination in buying homes, um, maybe fewer affordable homes that are also accessible laws that, you know, discriminate against families with children or um, survivors of domestic violence maybe kind of going, continue to go unchecked to some extent. Um, So I think it's really more about 
the opportunity that we're losing as opposed Mm -hmm. to maybe additional harms that we might see. And one of the comments that you made during the break was it's going to require resources to be able to address iniquities like this um, that you just listed off. And the rollback is really about uh, people not really wanting to put resources behind this. Is that correct? Yeah, that's definitely one of HUD's, um, the current administration's claims is that this is too burdensome and that it requires too many resources. But when you think about all the resources that went into creating these systems, right? Like, of course, it's been centuries of racist policies, of ableist policies, of discriminatory policies. Of course, it's going to require resources to kind of dismantle that. And it should be a national priority. Yeah. I mean, the juice is worth the squeeze when we're in Mm -hmm. this sort of like, well, yeah, it's going to take a couple extra resources, but like, so effing what? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Isn't that worth it? Like, right. doesn't everybody deserve to have, like, fair and equal access to some of these things and that we're talking And there's about? so much evidence showing that access to housing improves health outcomes mm-hmm. and educational outcomes and just all sorts of benefits. for Yeah, and I think, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Ed, I think you also mentioned, like, while it might actually take a couple more resources, um, this would shift some of the resource burden onto the federal government as opposed to some of these less well-equipped places to have to do studies and that sort of thing on their own. Right, exactly. And and let me... So let like me s- the money might have to be spent either way. <laughs> right, right. And, and I was, would also argue that that economic argument is is specious and that well, it's, yeah. really, it's really a cover for racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking about when you were talking about the seven protected classes, it's not like every person can slice themselves up. Right. right. Yeah. And be like, oh, exactly. I'm, this, I'm this. It's like you live like, you know, multidimensional lives. Mm-hmm. You're a multidimensional person. There's a lot of different identities that we all hold. Um, and the fact that anyone can discriminate you, not just for one, for all, like, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. this is a problem. Um, so where can people go to submit comments yeah. now that we're, now that they kind of know um, what it is that they're um, asking for and pushing back against? Yes, yeah, so and I'm sure upset about. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Um, so, you know, this is part of our Fight for Housing Justice campaign, and we have a website around it, and it's fightforhousingjustice.org, all one word. Um, and you can find a lot of different resources there as well. There's a comment portal with some kind of Uh, text already in there and we really really urge people to personalize that text um, because the more unique a comment is uh, the more HUD kind of has to pay attention to it and respond to it Um, we try to avoid kind of those those form letter comments where you just hit submit so please you know add a few sentences um, talking about your personal connection and we have comment templates and talking points that you can draw from to kind of help you figure out how to do that. A couple of that. resources mm-hmm. for folks to be able to um, figure this out if they still feel a little intimidated. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so are there is there are there any other recommendations you have um, on what you think makes a comment particularly effective? Um, again, I think kind of adding in your personal connection, whether it's, you know, from your lived experience or through your work with um communities, your community, other communities, I think that's really powerful. And if you want to get into the legalese of it all, we have that information up there too, but you know, feel free to just go with the layman's approach. <laughs> Uh, are there other ways that individuals and organizations like the National Low Income Housing Coalition are fighting back against this? Um, yes, yeah, so we right now we're actually having a national week of action. Um, so if folks are interested in kind of 
telling people more about this, you can host like a comment party at your organization <laughs> or Bring your gear. house. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, um, talk about this proposed rule, encourage people to comment, have some snacks, have some drinks. Um, well, we're also hosting a Facebook Live. Well, we're not. Um, one of our partners is hosting a Facebook Live event tomorrow. Um, we're having a tweet storm on Friday. All this information is on the website, too. Awesome. Um, that, that's Fight for Fair Housing Justice. Fight for Housing Justice. Justice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, you know, we can definitely engage with members of Congress. We have been um, just last week, I think. Time is uh, moving strangely <laughs> these days. Um, <laughs> Representative Al Green of Texas um, he, he had a bill called the Housing Fairness Act of 2020, which passed out of committee, and that would reinstate the 2015 rule. Awesome. So if you know you want to reach out to members of Congress and encourage them to support that bill, that would be one way to do it, or just encourage your member of Congress to generally oppose this proposed rule also. Is there like a hashtag or anything like that? Like people can jump yes. in the conversation? Um, the hashtag is keep housing fair. And then you can also add Fight for Housing Justice if you want. But the main one is Keep Housing Fair. Cool. So I, I feel, you know, this it's it's always tough talking about um, where we are currently um, under this administration um, with a lot of uh, the rollbacks or attempted rollbacks of these agencies. So looking, I kind of want to like switch gears a little bit and think a little bit more aspirationally and sort of um, in, a, in a brighter future type thing. So like looking more long term. Um, what types of changes to HUD or housing policy more generally um, would you like to see under a different administration? Like, what are some of the things that you think um, could be a good move for a potential future HUD? Yeah, I think one big thing is just more funding for affordable housing programs. Um, currently, only one in four people who are eligible for housing assistance actually receive it. Um, and that's just, you know not good. Um, and we'd also like to see just an increased investment in um, kind of building affordable housing for the lowest income people. And Ed mentioned earlier the National Housing Trust Fund, which is the first new housing resource um, since 1974, targeted to building, rehabilitating, preserving, and operating rental housing for extremely low income people. Um, we actually just released a new report um, that we do every year. It's called The Gap. Um, which people can find on National Low Income Housing Coalition's website. Um, it shows that no state has an adequate supply of affordable rental homes for the lowest income people. And so the National Housing Trust Fund is really designed to kind of meet that need and increase the supply for, for those folks. So that's that's one big thing. <laughs> There's so many more, though. <laughs> well, another big thing is uh, this current administration is trying to get out of the business of public housing, and it would be great to have uh, a HUD that wants to preserve uh, the public housing that, that exists. And then we could urge Congress to actually allow for the creation of more public housing. Mm-hmm. Improve on that. Yeah, I mean, living living here in D.C., I feel like um, you see so so much of a need for that. Yeah. Um, on a, I don't know how much you guys know about local policy. I know you guys are federal experts, yeah. um, and I'm not sure if you guys live in D.C. or Maryland yeah, and do. Virginia. Um, We're both the rent is very high here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for our aware. listeners, yeah. <laughs> and we are, like, I totally acknowledge, too, that we are a, a privileged group yeah. of yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. But even for us, the rent is high, so. 
other yeah. folks. Yeah. Yeah. My sister works at um at Mary's Center. Um okay. and so uh she works with um people at you know, trying to figure out uh, low income housing situations yeah. and she said it is just is dire here. Yeah, um, it really and I is. imagine that that is um the case in lots of uh denser more densely populated places around the country. Yeah, so. not even more densely populated places. It's it's a crisis in rural areas, it's a crisis on um Native American reservations. It's actually really bad. Um, it's it's an issue everywhere. And so, you know, we're hoping that the silver lining of the crisis being so bad is that we're hoping um, people actually take action. And there's there have been some really um, uh, great bills introduced in Congress that are really bold and progressive. So that's been encouraging. And I want to ask you actually about sat- some of that legislation um, when we come back from our commercial break. Um, you've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm your other co-host, Adwa Theogene. We'll be right back after this commercial. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. I'm your co-host, Edwith Theogene. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Today's show, we've been talking a little bit about the proposed rule change from the Trump administration's Department of Housing and Early Development. Urban Development. Urban Development. Sorry, I made that mistake too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Urban Development, HUD. We all know HUD. Um, We're joined by Sonia Costa, Senior Advisor of the National Low Income Housing Coalition, and we're also joined by her colleague, Ed Gramlich, Senior Advisor also at the National Low Income Housing Coalition. Welcome back. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, so we've been talking a little bit about comments, and one thing I wanted to ask you, Sonia, again, you said that unique comments are kind of like the best tool of defense. Mm-hmm. Can you share again with our audience like what makes a comment unique? Yeah, I think um, talking about your personal connection to the issue, our a general rule of thumb, and I honestly don't really know where this came from, is that you try to make the comment about 20% unique. Um, because otherwise HUD will kind of bundle them all together and just count it as one form comment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the goal of this is to get a lot of comments that HUD will then have to respond to with, before they put out their um, final rule. And this kind of just delays the whole process, gives us more time to work on a litigation strategy, a legislative strategy to push back on this. And the legislative strategy. Yeah. Uh, before we jumped off to the break, you had st- talked about a couple of bills and stuff that... Yeah. Um, So one bill was Representative Al Green's um, Housing Fairness Act of 2020, and that would, among other things, reinstate the the 2015 AFFH rule. Um, There isn't a lot of um, other legislative strategy around this rule right now, um, partly because we, you know, need to be careful with our not to have the litig- the legislative strategy mess up the litigation strategy and right. kind of like making sure that those work well together. Um, but that is one bill out there around this particular issue. So, so what was that? What should folks be calling their reps and asking for? <laughs> they can either ask them just to express their opposition to this proposed rule, or they can ask them to support um, Representative Al Green's uh, Housing Fairness Act of 2020. Um, and when you say uh, this proposed rule, what's the rule? This is the 
affirmatively furthering fair housing proposed rule. And we want them, we want HUD to not roll it back. We want HUD to withdraw its proposal and implement the 2015 rule. So stick with the Obama administration's rule. That's right. Got it. That's right. Good to know. Noted. Noted. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Perfect. Um, So where can folks go to learn more about uh, the work that each of you um, are doing um, at the National Low Income Housing Coalition? Sure. So uh, just another plug for the Fight for Housing Justice website. That's fightforhousingjustice.org. And you can learn a lot more about the AFFH proposed rule. But um, the National Low Income Housing's website is nlihc.org. We have a bunch of resources on there as well about all of our different policy priorities beyond just um, this work around fair housing, um, plenty of ways for you to take action and suggestions of ways for you to engage with your members of Congress um, around federal housing policy. Um, and I have a Twitter that I'm semi-active on. <laughs> <laughs> it's at uh, SSMI Acosta. Great. Great. So what types of problems um, would we start to see in both the short term and the long term um, if this rule were gutted? Um, Is there anything that you think people would be surprised by if the rule does get gutted? Um, I'm not sure. I think, again, this is more of uh, what we stand to lose than what we um, might kind of actively see. The 2015 rule was a real opportunity to dismantle uh, systemic discrimination and and segregation and without kind of a push some jurisdictions are never going to do that hard work some of them luckily are and they are still trying to do their best to implement the 2015 rule or at least aspects of it and and really um, incorporate some of those ideas from the Obama era rule into their planning work and that's really wonderful but others are going to continue to just kind of ignore the segregation and and discrimination going on in their communities yeah and it seems kind of like the trump administration's uh goal with so many of these like regulatory rollbacks is to just hope people don't notice it and you called yourself a little bit of like a regs wonk or like a rules wonk um and it seems like it seems like they're counting on people like you just like not existing in order to like <laughs> sneak some of this through. Well, there there are plenty of people like me, and so we're, we're in good company, and we've been busy ever since the Trump administration <laughs> came in, uh, writing comment letters about all kinds of regulatory rollbacks. So um, we're we exist, and we're getting noisier. Yeah. yeah, and we're happy that you're sharing all this information with everyone too, and making it accessible. Um, that's really appreciated. Yeah, I don't know if, if our listeners have been to the regulations.gov website, um, <laughs> but it can be a little bit overwhelming. I've participated in a bunch of like rulemaking processes. Um, for a little bit of, I guess, um, Ed, can you, is this sort of like Congress makes rules and then... Congress makes laws. Laws. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and then uh, it goes to uh, regulations.gov in order to... Well, it goes to the whatever department uh, is related to that, that law, and, and that department then comes up with uh, proposed rules to implement uh, what's in that law. And sometimes they have to add more detail because laws are generally fairly broadly written. And so in order to make the... Uh, the, the goals of the, that statute uh, work, 
you come up with regulations. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much, both of you, uh, for joining us. We've been listening to um, folks who work at the National Low Income Housing Coalition, uh, Sonia Costa um, and Ed Gramlich. You've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, thanks to our producer, Mark Grimaldi, and our guests for being here in studio. Uh, make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Gen Progress.